All right. If you guys have your Bibles, would you grab them? We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 just for a little bit. It's not even going to be the first verse we're going to talk about, but we're going to spend a little bit of time in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, would you please grab that? There's also, it should be a Bible in front of you if you didn't bring your own or don't have time to download an app on your phone. 1 Peter chapter 2, and before we get there, I want to read a particular verse. We'll have the slide, and maybe you can take a note of this if you're taking notes, because there's always a test. At the, in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, Jesus says this, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And this, in particular, this specific phrase is after Jesus, Jesus finishes this parable that he's speaking to a lot of people, where he speaks about different soils, but really they represent souls that hear the truth of God and the message of the gospel. And some, he says, hear the message of the word, but quickly have the enemy take away the word in which they heard. Some are like a rocky path that hear the word and receive it with joy, but because they have no root, when persecution or even questions come up, they fall away. Some are like a soil full of thorns, so that the worries of life and greed and, this, and just the things that happen in this life actually choke out the joy that could come from hearing the truth and being fruitful. But for others who are good soil, they receive this message of the gospel and they produce a crop many times what was sown. And as Jesus tells this par parable at the very end, he says that in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, he who has ears, let them hear. And those of us who have ears, who do hear, is actually what I'm talking about today. Because as we've been going through this vision of what it means to grow more into the likeness of Jesus, we're going to talk about what it means to be a people today. God's people. But I want to start with the fact that God's people are people that can hear what God has to say. And for some of us, we're not going to be able to hear this, unfortunately. And I want us to wrestle with the fact that maybe we can't hear it because of some distraction. Maybe we can't hear it because we don't want to hear it. But God's people can hear spiritual, biblical, truthful things. And even though they're not always what we want to hear, they're exactly what we need to hear. My question for us is how do we listen to sermons? How do we listen to devotionals? How do we listen to Bible studies or podcasts? Because the way that we listen really will help us understand, do we have the ears to hear? Are we passive listeners that just kind of listen and kind of nod our head like we were watching some television program that was mindless? Or are we disciples ready to disciple? Do we treat moments when scripture is being read as students auditing a class with no grade expected? Or do we listen as student teachers prepared and ready to give away what we've learned? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter is writing to the church, and Peter is one of my favorite characters in Scripture. And when I say character, I don't want you to think he was, it's a fable or a myth. He wasn't written into Scripture and, and made up by someone. Peter actually existed. Peter did some stupid things. Peter constantly stuck his foot in his mouth. Anyone? Anyone? Just me? Thanks, guys. And Peter wrote to the church after doing some amazing things for the Lord and, and doing some pretty stupid things for the Lord. And he says this, but you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Just that verse alone deserves an amen. And we are chosen by, Lord, by the Lord's will, not because we are good, mind you, but because God is good. A royal priesthood, one that holds a higher rank than the world, not because we those of us who would be included in Christ are better than anyone, but because we are included in Christ who is better than everyone. We are a holy nation. We are a set-apart nation that isn't defined by skin color or heritage or traditions, but are bound by the blood of Jesus Christ who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We are God's special possession. We are important to God. We are God's people. And why did he make us his people? So we could declare his praises. But do we declare his praises? And I don't just mean in a worship service as we sing songs. Do we declare his praises with our lives? Because he pulled us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And have you and I actually realized not just what we were saved from, which is an eternity without God, that for someone who loves Jesus, that sounds terrible, but do we understand not just what he saved us from, but what he saved us for? In verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In order to be his people, you must have received mercy. And this mercy was given to you and also grace by Jesus' work on the cross and through the resurrection and through the exaltation of Jesus being at the right hand of the Father and believing that one day he's coming back. Hallelujah. So before you and I are church members, church members of Church of the Valley or any church in particular, we are children in God's family that he has adopted. But one of the ways we express that is through committing to a particular church that we believe is where the Lord wants us to grow, where he wants to use us to transform us, to use our time, treasure, and talents to make much of Jesus. And being a church member is a very good idea in theory. And here's what I mean. See, the function of membership is to give accountability for those who call a local church their body, their community, where they serve, where not only they attend, but they participate in the Lord's work. And it gives us accountability, but it also gives us purpose around shared values. It gives us purpose to actually use the gifts that the Lord has used us, given to us. But see, shared values are the operative word. If the values are not something that we agree upon, and the values are not biblical, church membership can become a club, it can become a cult, or it can just be a misrepresentation of what church actually is supposed to be. We've discussed this vision of growing more into the likeness of Jesus together, but what we are going to do today is talk about some practical steps of what God's people actually do. So turn with me real quick. You were in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42 this is a pretty well-known verse. I know I've taught on this text. We're not going to spend a lot of time in it, but it says this. They, remember that word, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So here's my question. Who are they? Who are these people? 
Well, if you go back one verse, which you can, you'll just have to go to a different paragraph. It says this in verse 41, those who accepted his message. Whose message? Peter. Peter was technically the one speaking, but he was speaking the gospel, which is Jesus personified. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They accepted the message. They accepted that the gospel was enough for salvation to be theirs, that they no longer had to work or attempt to work their way to God, but God had worked their way to them. Talk about good news. Can you believe that a God who is holy and perfect and knows not only how many hairs are on your head or lack thereof, but actually knows the sins that you've never told anyone about decided to come into the fray, decided to come into this world and live among us. So they no longer had to work their way to him. He had worked his way to them. In fact, Jordan, Jordan's been leading worship with us the past few weeks, young man, he was meeting with one of the guys that he, he disciples, and we, he and I meet, and I disciple him, and, and which really just means we meet at, coffee, or meet at Pete's Coffee, have caffeine, and we talk about Jesus. But <clears throat> as we were sitting down having a discussion, he told me this analogy that he used with the young man that he disciples, and I actually thought it was great. And if you can see me, this will make sense. If you're listening to this on podcast in the future, not so much, but here we go. So... When Jordan was describing to this young man what it looks like for God to work his way to us, I think a lot of times in the church, we've got God on this side, we've got us on this side, so in my right hand is God and my left hand is us, and a lot of times what we think we do in the church, because we attend church, because we read the Bible, because we pray, because we give of our money, we actually think, without meaning to, that we come across and get to God. Well, not biblically. But then here's this other thing. A lot of us start to go, well, I accepted Jesus. God showed me who he was, but I did the work. And so what we really start to act like is that instead of this, we have this. God came to me, and then I came to him. But that's not biblical either. So if you really want to look at what actually happened, if this is us and this is God, what really happened when you and I got saved was this. God decided to come completely to us. He saved us. He rescued us. He did all of the work. It had nothing to do with us. It was all him, and that's why he pulled us out of darkness. That's why we sing his praises. That's how he brought us into his wonderful light, not by us doing anything but him doing all of it. So let me put it another way before I totally lose you. Let me give you an analogy that even though <clears throat> we won't find it in Scripture, this is more kind of messing with the ideology that we have in pop culture about who God is. Because when you think of who God is in pop culture, we usually think, even if you've never watched this program and you have no idea what show I'm talking about, but a lot of us see God the way people see God in The Simpsons, okay? He's got long, white hair. He's older, and he's up in the clouds, and he's looking down, kind of grieving at his people, going, what are you guys doing? And so I want you for a moment, even though that is not biblical to what God looks like, I want you to picture God perfect and holy in that sense. And I want to picture that you breathe your last breath, because that's all going to happen to all of us unless Jesus comes back before. And you breathe your last breath, and now all of a sudden, within an instant, 
You're standing before God and his majesty. You are standing before this majestic and holy and perfect God. And you're standing before him. And even though this isn't exactly what the Bible has to say about how this works, let's imagine for this analogy's sake that you're standing right in front of God and he's on one side of the pearly gates, if you will, and you're on the other side. And you look at God and you see him and you're blown away by how holy and perfect and big that he is. And he looks at you. And you look at him, and somehow you can conjure up words, which I don't think any of us will be able to. But as you look at God, and he looks at you, you have one moment. You have one, maybe time for two syllables. To give an answer to him to why you should get an eternity with him. For some of us, we may say, well, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. For some of us, we may say that there isn't an answer. For some of us, we may actually start to come up with things that we've done. Well, Lord, I did everything you asked me to do, which isn't true, but, but I attended, and I prayed, and I gave money, and I did all of these things, and that's, what, that's why you should let me in. And i got to be honest, that answer will not suffice biblically. So you're standing before a holy and perfect God. You really just have a second to have an answer to why you should get an eternity with God the Father. And here's what I'm here to tell you. There is an answer, and his name is Jesus. It's just him. It's not Jesus plus something. It's not Jesus added with all of your time doing this or all the things that you... It is literally just Jesus and what he has accomplished on your behalf. If, if, if we can't agree upon that, values in a church don't matter. Because it is only by Christ that you and I are made perfect before God's eyes. Because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. So these people that Peter's talking about, these people that Luke is writing about in the book of Acts, these people, God's people, they were people that had the simple understanding that Jesus is enough. Just Jesus. Not only do they have the ears to hear, but they are progressing towards something, and that something is big. And it's simply our vision to look more like Jesus to grow more into the likeness of Jesus together daily. And we will progress in this if we're truly following Jesus. But here's the thing with being progression. It usually requires being tested and refined and broken down and built up. And the early church were devoted to some things which I believe couldn't hurt at the minimum. And at the same time, I think is the key to what part Christians actually play in the sanctification process, into the growth process, into looking more like Jesus. And this is through our will and cooperation of the Holy Spirit. So back to that verse, Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So these were the early, this was the early church. They had just heard the gospel that Jesus was enough, that they could be made right because of what Jesus had done. And 3,000 people, and I think it was just men, I don't even think they were counting women and children, so possibly 10,000 people decided to commit their lives to Jesus in this moment. And what did they do? They devoted themselves to some things. 
First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, granted, we don't have, we do have the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is much of what we call the New Testament, but these were also stories of what they had experienced as they were with Jesus, which we have in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they devoted themselves to these teachings because they believed that when they read this, they didn't so much read it, but it read them, and it started to show them where they needed Jesus. So they devoted themselves to the very words of God to the story of Jesus, to the holistic story of God's creation all the way to Revelation as Jesus comes back. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And fellowship means partnership, and biblically it means partnership in the gospel. So they devoted themselves to fellowship and partnership and the spiritual community that was surrounded by the truth of God's word. They devoted themselves to remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. Oh, do I love communion. But if we make church about communion by itself, we've missed it. And so we are supposed to remember what Christ has done on the first Sunday of every month when we take communion, but really throughout our entire lives to be reminded of what Christ has done on our behalf and they devoted themselves to intercession, into prayer. They devoted themselves to talking to a holy and perfect God who they need. This is what the early church did. And this is what God's people are about. And i got to be honest, I'm not perfect at all of these. And my guess is you're not either. But this isn't just what they do or did. This is the response to the message of the gospel. And when you are doing these things, you are about your father's business. And you're applying his word. Your response is a term that we know as discipleship. Ooh, does that word get messed up in the church? We treat discipleship like Christian book clubs or spiritual life coaching or all of the stuff that it isn't. Let me give you uh, one way I describe discipleship. It is disciplined pupils in relationship. That's what I see in that word. Disciplined pupils in relationship. And the text that most of us know, the idea of making disciples, is one that we've heard many times from me, from the former pastor. I mean, I know you've heard this text. I know you've read it. But before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them, immerse them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey. It doesn't say get them to obey. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. These are our marching orders, Christians. This is what God's people are about. Don't put this on the pastor. I'm doing it. We need to be doing it. Because the city of Santa Clara, the county of Santa Clara, the state of California, the United States of America that's tore up and messed up is not going to be changed unless Christians do what Jesus said. And I'm saying amen to myself. That's fine. And this was God's commission to his people. This, is what God, this was God's means in order for the world to not just know the name of Jesus. Because he didn't just say go into all the world and tell people Jesus' name. But to know the person of Jesus. By Christians giving away who Jesus is, not just in our words, but in our lives. See, I'm a doer. I like to do stuff. I get super bored when I have nothing to do. And I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to be busy. I want to be engaged. I want to be involved. 
and he told us to go and make disciples, but he didn't tell us how. Did you notice that? He said, go and make disciples. But there was no, and here's, you know, a 30-page list of how you can do this. You know why? Because we would have worshipped the list. He didn't tell us how. He showed us how. Because in Matthew 4, verse 18 and 20, we see Jesus calling his first disciples to come follow him. And this was just the invitation, but we see something in it. As Jesus, in Matthew 4, 18 and 20, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting the net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Did you catch it? Here's what discipleship looks like. Here's how to do it. You ready? You ask someone to follow you as you follow Jesus. That's it. What? What do you mean follow? Like, like intern? Kinda. Learn from? Absolutely. In fact, here's the definition as I wrestle with this, a little wordy, but if you're taking notes, and I'm sure all of you are, here is a definition that I love. Discipleship is following Jesus through means of trusting someone with the Holy Spirit to help you in understanding, obedience, and application. That's what discipleship looks like. It is following Jesus through the means of trusting someone who has the Holy Spirit to help you in understanding, obedience, and application. You want to know who has the Holy Spirit? Those who would say, standing before a holy and perfect God, that their answer is simply Jesus. That's who inherits the Holy Spirit. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And if we're honest, most of us would say, no, 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 don't follow me. I messed up. Right. But part of discipleship is just being open about the fact that you're messed up. All right. So if none of that hurt, let's, 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 uh, let's let this hurt. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciplined pupil, my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. <laughs> deny yourself. What does that look like, church? Let me, let me ask you this question. What selfish things do you do with your time, treasure, and talents? Now turn to someone. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. But I want you to think about what selfish things you do with your time, treasure, and talents. Now, probably not giving you too much time, but if you're taking notes, you can write down that question. What do you do with your time, treasure, and talents that the sole purpose is to exalt Jesus? What do you do with your time, treasure, and talents that the sole purpose is to exalt Jesus? He says, deny yourself. But then he says, pick up your cross. And, and can I just be honest? I've been in the church long enough. I, not just this one, I've heard people talk about any difficulty they have to deal with becomes a cross they have to bear. Don't neuter the cross. The cross is a death sentence. And this was the second time that Jesus used the word cross with the disciples. And the disciples at this point didn't know what was going to happen three years into Jesus' ministry. See, the cross for them 
the term cross was pretty jarring because to the first century Jew, crosses were the way that those who were blasphemers and insurrectionists and traitors would be treated for their crimes by being put up on a cross and nailed to it and hang there until they die. And none of the disciples saw Jesus the way I just described as a blasphemer or an insurrectionist. But we know what happened on Calvary. And Jesus says, deny yourself, and what he means is, be willing to die for me. So I just, I just raised the bar from what a lot of us see pick up your cross as. Be willing to die for Jesus. That's what's implied by picking up your cross. You are headed towards death. Well, that sounds fun. But this is what Jesus asks of us if we're truly going to be his disciple. Because you must be willing to die for Jesus before you are able to live for him. That's good. You must be willing to die for Jesus before you can truly live for him. And it is impossible, church, to live for Jesus without the Holy Spirit residing in you. You cannot do it in your own strength. You cannot get through the days of what Jesus would ask you to do, but how amazing is it that he gave you his spirit to lead you and transform you. And in my nature, my flesh, and I know this isn't going to be shocking, I want to live for myself. How about you? I want to live for myself. I don't want to die. I want to be comfortable. I want to have pleasure. I want to live for myself. I don't want to live for Jesus. But Jesus calls us to this higher assurance, this higher promise than giving some of your life over to him. He asked for all of it. He says, follow him, which means you are following the king. It means you are following the Lord. You are following God in the flesh, but you are also following the greatest missionary, the most humble, kind, patient, and powerful person who ever existed. And to follow him you will have to start to be more like him. But if you aren't following him, you won't be more like him. Following Jesus isn't easy. I can guarantee it's not always fun, but it's always sanctifying. And that's the point, that we would be sanctified. We would grow more into the likeness of Jesus. But then, after Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, then he says in verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. You read that, and you can start to think this means something that doesn't. Saving your life is not about not dying. You hear me? Saving your life is not about not dying. It's about living a comfortable and protective life that lacks faith. That's what it means to try to live your life for yourself. Do you live... And, and, and you don't have to tell anyone this, but I want you to allow the word of God and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to really sink in here. Do you live as if Jesus is your leader, as your motivation, and as your Lord? Or are comfort and control your motivating factors to how you live each day? Because he says that if you are willing to lose your life for his sake, you will find it, true life. And this is the promise of eternal life. Not a more successful life in, in the world sense, but a life that is abundant because you are a child of the God Most High. 
It's crazy to be a follower of Jesus if you think about it. Have you ever thought about like what we do as Christians? Like it is a bit crazy. See, you're in love, if you're a Christian, with this man God that you cannot see physically, okay? You read a book and believe the words were actually written and inspired and done through God's mind, his mouth, and his hand by using individuals that were sinners and imperfect and in a lot of cases way bigger wrecks than even their readers. We pray, which to some, someone without a relationship with God, it actually seems like superstition that really takes shape of us talking to ourselves out loud. We give a percentage of our income to God's church because we believe that the money is all God's. And we trust the leadership to use that money to actually produce more disciples of Jesus. We sit in a room for an hour at least once a week where we hear songs sung to God for a God and about a God out loud. We raise hands, we cry, we clap, some of us, and we physically respond to God's grace in praise. We listen to the Bible read and explained as to hope to hear something new or something we haven't heard before. We hope that the Word of God will make us be different and sanctify us and that we would know Jesus more fully and authentically. We give of our time to love people around us because we believe people were created in God's image and deserve to be loved, especially by God's people. I got to be honest. If we don't know why we're doing all the things I just described, I can't imagine why we think any of us, let me put it this way. If we don't have the motivation to do all the things we just described because we understand that God already loved us perfectly, and we do the things I just described to try to get God to love us more. We missed it. Because he loves us perfectly right now in spite of ourselves. So are you willing to lose your life for his sake? I'm convinced if we as a church, we as God's people, would be willing to die for Jesus and thus fully be willing to live for him, the great commission would no longer be treated as a suggestion in the South Bay area, but it would be a lifestyle and the world would take notice. There will and has always been persecution for those that are trying to further the good news that Jesus is the Savior, the Lord, and the King, and that he is God. And there will always be people who want to make faith more about activity than God's glory. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, if we deny ourselves, if we pick up our cross and follow him, there is no more important calling, church. There is no more important purpose. There is no more important mission than being on mission with the greatest missionary who left heaven to walk among us and who came being full of grace and truth. My dream is that all ages would connect together over some activities over some service opportunities, over some mission trips, over some coffee shops, Pete's, that we would connect out by running into people in public and go, hey, I go to church with you. I'd like to know your story. 
that we would get closer than just the connection that happens during a meet and greet or between two services, that we would actually go and do life outside of this property together, not because we have to, but because of God's grace, we want to. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy. Technically, he was still older than me, so I can still say that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It's one thing for us to be discipled. It's one thing for us to see someone that we think is following Jesus and say, hey, can I follow you as you follow Jesus? Would you meet with me? Would you spend time with me? It's one thing to be invested in and to learn from someone else, but we have to always be thinking how we're going to give away what we've been given. Always be listening to God's word to give to someone else. I, I know this is in some ways trying to reestablish what you've learned your entire life, what you've experienced your entire life, but always listen to God's word as if you were going to give it to someone else. And you've heard me say this before, but disciples, disciple. Those who are actually disciples of Jesus Christ do something with what they've learned. And some of us disciple as we go. Some of us go and do different things where we just go and we meet someone for coffee and we're not meeting with them consistently, but we pour out what we're learning. And then we meet someone else and we pour out what we're learning. And what we learn from this person, we give to this person. And we disciple as we go. But for some of us, it's time for us to say, hey, person, why don't you and I sit down? I'd love to study scripture with you. I don't know that much, but I can teach you at least what I'm learning. Let's discuss. And there is no more life-changing truth, at least in my life, that when I realize that we exponentially grow spiritually when we invest in others. Not because we're holier, because we're doing it, but it changes how we listen, doesn't it? It changes what we do with what we hear, and it changes us from being the kink in the hose. You guys know what I'm talking about? You put a kink in the hose, or the water's trying to go through it, and all of a sudden the water stops coming. Often, we are the kink in the hose because we hear the truth of God, we go, oh, that's great, and we keep it to ourselves. You can be a student of Jesus without ever being his disciple. You can be a student of Jesus without ever being his disciple, and we want to give you the tools to actually be more than just a passive listener. That's one of the reasons in your in your bulletin on the back where it talks about what the sermon is, there's always these questions. And usually there's at least, what's your big takeaway? At the very minimum, there's that. But usually it's, what's your big takeaway? And sometimes it's who you're going to teach that to. Because if you know that you're going to give it to someone else, you're going to listen differently. And then it says, what is God telling you to do differently? You know why I don't, it doesn't say, what are you going to do differently? Because you're like me, you're not going to do it. But if God's involved... You may actually do what God is asking you to do. We got to help people apply the word of God to their lives. We got to help people actually want to not just hear the truth and go, oh, that was good. I put in my time, but to be willing to give away what we've just learned. Test me on it. Prove to me. Start to disciple some people and see if you grow. And if you don't, I'll give you your money back.
one of the reasons that we constantly ask questions because we don't want the word of God to harden our hearts. We want to actually do something with what we're hearing. And because as we obey what the Lord is telling us to do, we actually grow more into the likeness of Jesus. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, said it this way. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, he says, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Why are the commands of God not burdensome? Because of the relationship that we have with the one who commands us. He is the Lord. And if he is the Lord of us, we shouldn't be surprised that he expects more from us than the world. And not only that, that he progressively asks us to do more and more as we grow and mature. You know what, my kids, their chores, as they get older, they seem to be a little bit more than they were when they were young. And God progressively is growing us to give us more responsibility as followers of his. So how do we grow more into the likeness of Jesus? It's through applying his word, by being poured into by someone that we've asked to, to follow as they follow Jesus, investing in others. And as the Spirit leads us in the ecclesia, the ecclesia is the movement of God's people all believing the same truth of who Jesus is, and we need other Christians alongside us to help refine us and help change us as the Spirit of God moves through us. So when the Lord started to put this merge of two different communities with two different sets of values and different histories together, I had a few reasons for wanting to be a part of it. First, Santa Clara. I love this city. And you're like, why? It's, I'm not a Niner fan. That's definitely not the reason. I love this city because God has shown me what the city could look like if the gospel and discipleship permeated in every possible organization that's here. From churches, to businesses, to malls, to stadiums, to amusement parks, to hospitals. I believe God wants to do an amazing thing through the city. And here's the thing, you know this, I didn't grow up in the church. I thought Christianity was the dumbest thing ever. And yet, I argued with my Christian friends in high school. And I commiserated with my friends who wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And I look back at that time and I go, Lord, I think you've given me the purpose of seeing the friends I grew up with that still live in this city come to know Jesus. And I want us to be a church that would welcome them. That's one piece. Another reason is I wanted a place where my family could belong. I've spoken at more churches than I can even count at this point. And I've spoken across the country. I've spoken in Canada. I've spoken in Mexico. I've done all of the speaking, but that takes its toll on a family. And I wanted a place where my family and I could be in a place where we, our kids would have grandparents, and I apologize, great-grandparents. I wanted a place where we could wrestle with different histories and things that we've heard in the past, and I could hear your stories about what things were like way before I was born. But I wanted a place that my family could belong. And third, and this one's going to feel a little cynical, and I apologize. No, actually I don't. This is, this is just me being honest. I'm not convinced 
being a pastor and in ministry for close to 16 years now, I'm not convinced discipleship can happen in a church. That probably sounds really cynical. Here's what I mean by it. A lot of ways we describe the church, the organization of the church. I don't know if this is what we meant to do, but a lot of times the focus is on things that have nothing to do with helping people grow into the likeness of Jesus. And I believe we can be a church of God's people that desperately want to see people grow into the likeness of Jesus. And that means we're going to rub up against each other, we're going to upset one another, and we're going to have to apologize to one another, and we're going to say, I hate that person once in a while, and then we're going to repent. But that is part of the sanctification process. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God's plan A was his church. And I want us to be his church. I don't want us to be a club. I don't want us to be a cult. I don't want us to be anything other than God's people who come together to make much of Jesus. But with all of those things that I set out to do, like everyone, I gravitate towards what is easiest. And honestly, what is easiest is to invest in those I've known for a really long time. Be honest, what's easiest for me is to invest in people that really like me. I'm just going to be honest about it. That's easier than dealing with people that don't want to don't communicate the way I communicate. Or don't keep the same hours that I have. Or maybe don't even have the same values that I have. So I apologize as your pastor if you felt like I haven't cared about you. Okay? I apologize. And I believe that the hope of the church is not that we all just get along. That's Rodney King theology. I believe the hope of the church is that Jesus would be made much of. And we get to do that together. <sighs> but here's the thing. I didn't come to lead two peoples, but to lead God's people. Those who would be willing to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Jesus. And some of us have been doing that for a while, some of us have been doing that for a short amount of time. Some of us are still kicking the tires to figure out if that's what we want to do. But when I say we've been doing a long time or been doing it for a little bit of time, I'm not talking about time in church. I'm talking about repenting and trusting that Jesus is enough and starting to follow him. See, there was the date I believed, June 13th, 2001. Then there was the day I truly think I repented, which was June 1st, 2010, when my father died, and I realized I was without anything other than Jesus Christ. And so for some of us, we had a date of belief and a date of repentance, and it doesn't really matter when you did both. The, the, what matters is that you did both, that you have repented and said, Lord, you are enough. So if we can commit to being one church, that wants to make much of Jesus no matter our history, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, if we can commit to that and deal with the rough edges of watching God bind us through his sacrifice on our behalf, we won't be two different communities trying to coexist, but we will be a people, God's people, who were called out of darkness and into his marvelous light.
Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we had to be in your word today, and we're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond in musical worship, and we're going to respond in offering. And so, God, as we come into this place and we respond to what we just heard, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't give our money out of compulsion. We wouldn't give our money out of feeling that we have to or that it justifies us, but we would do it because we believe in this mission. We believe that people ought to grow more into the likeness of Jesus. Lord, first stir that in us and help us be men and women and children who make much of Jesus together. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.